team as well tonight. Um, great to have Night Church being able to look after worship and different teams, different people stepping up to be able to help out with that. So thanks heaps, guys, for tonight. All right, we're going to jump into uh, the Word. This is the second last week of our Issues series. So we've been going through various issues uh, that we face in life in our contemporary setting, in our, in our modern society. But they haven't just been to talk about issues and look for a, you know, what's a, what's a couple of good tips for helping us get on top of some issues that we might have. Uh, the, the point of this series has been to say, what does God say about it? To go to the Word of God and say, how does God view this issue? What should, how we should be, re- be responding to it in light of what God's Word is, is doing. So I might just pray and then we'll jump in. Lord, I thank you for your word to us, Lord. And as we look at this series, uh, we know that there are many issues that we face. There are many things that want to distract us and take us away from you uh, and from living the lives that you have uh, before us. But Lord, I thank you that your word would guide us, that your word is a lamp to our feet. Lord, I thank you that your word is breathed out by you and it equips us for every good work. I pray tonight, Lord, as we look at this passage, as we talk about this issue, pray that we would be uh, encouraged in the things of you. And Lord, where, where there might be, uh, be a need for correction in us, Lord, I pray that you would be gentle with us, but also convict us that we would see those changes in our life as a result of uh, being led towards you. Thank you for this tonight. We pray these things in your, the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So uh, a couple of years ago, a friend of mine was telling me about this place out at Oxley that I could eat at, and uh, he encouraged me to go to what it was called Chompers. <laughs> a couple of you might have, might have been there by the uh, reactions there. And uh, the main reason that I went there, I took the family, was because they said they've got these deep-fried um, patties. So you get a hamburger there with these deep-fried patties, but they've replaced the buns with Krispy Kreme donuts. And I was like, I have to go there on the weekend and take my family. Um, when I got there, I was, I was actually overwhelmed by the choices that were in front of me. As I stood there in front of the, the board, the kids are like, Dad, get us this one, Dad, get us that one. Um, and I just stood there, and I actually ended up just ordering some fries and sitting down because, well, A, I thought that my arteries were going to harden, and it might take 10 years of my life if I ordered any of the burgers. Um, but, but the main reason was I was actually just so overwhelmed by all the choices. Um, they all actually looked really good. And in the end, I just was like, I couldn't do it. So I just sat down, ate a couple of fries, and took the kids home. Everyone was disappointed, as I reported back, everyone was disappointed in me. Um, but you know what? I was thinking about it this week as I looked at this, this topic that we're looking at tonight, which is about commitment and keeping our options open. Our modern lives are a lot like this. We actually have so much choice. We have so much uh, variety. I do the same thing with Netflix. I used to have a subscription to Netflix. I'd spend an hour looking for, for something to watch and then go to sleep. Like, well, that's, that's time up. <laughs> time to go to bed. That's, uh, that was the hour that I had allocated. I've used all of it just searching for the title, and, and now I'm going to bed. Um, there's so many areas of our life where we are just bombarded with choice, and it presents as if it's a good thing. Like advertising that comes across to us says, it's all about you and all about the choices that you can have, and, and that's supposed to be a good thing. But is it? Is it really such a good thing? In some instances, yes. Um, but the problem is, 
not choosing and leaving our options open has be, itself become a choice. We feel empowered by the thought of having the world at our fingertips, but ultimately, as a result, we end up doing nothing, like me at the jumpers, just sitting down, not making, it, not making a decision. Barry Cooper, who is the co-founder of Christianity Explored, says, making choices and moving on with our lives seems increasingly difficult. We find ourselves paralyzed, unable to make choices about relationships, dating, marriage, money, family, and career. And he goes on to say, I want to suggest that if we feel unable to make these choices, it may be because we're worshipping the wrong God. Hang on, that escalated quickly. One minute we're talking about burger choices, and then this guy's saying, with all these choices and our lack of it, we could actually have an idolatry problem. We actually could have a worship problem. He says, there is a false God that many of us unknowingly follow called the God of open options. When we say false God, now let's just clarify here, when we talk about a false God, we're not talking about an actual God, we're talking about a God that doesn't exist, but it's, a, it's something that has replaced God. It's something that has called us to serve it. We follow after it with everything that we've got instead of the one true God. So that's what is meant by a false God. So ironically, by not committing, we actually do commit to something. We commit to keeping our options open. That's actually become a thing. That the choice that we make is to have no choice. The choice that we make is, I want to keep my options open. At the heart of keeping our options open is the problem of idolatry. And idolatry is where we put something in place of the one true God. To have an idol, something that competes with our love for God. The problem is, in our, in our setting, in our, in our modern society, is that often these idols and these things, they are so subtle. They present as good things. And, and often they'll say this about idols. They'll say, they often look like really good things. But when we love them more than God, they become really, really dangerous. We might think we are, for instance, we might think we're protecting our comfort by keeping our options open. We think that it's a good thing to have our options open, but the truth is, it is damaging us. It's damaging our service to God because it lies to us and it says, you might, you might need to keep your weekends free. Not sure what for, but you better keep them free. There could be something coming up. You might not want to commit to something in there. It destroys our giving because it says, the money that you earn, that's, that's yours and you might need it for something important coming up not realizing that our money and our ability to earn money is actually a gift from God. It's all from Him. Everything that is good comes from God. It also damages our ability to have real happiness and joy in Christ because it says to us, don't be too full on with that Jesus stuff. Have a little bit of Jesus in your life, but don't get too crazy with it. Don't get too spiritual. Have you ever, have you ever felt that pressure? Like, have a little bit of Jesus there, sure. Um, maybe keep it as a hobby, <laughs> but don't be too full on, right? And ultimately, I think it forbids discipleship as well because it says investing in someone is going to cost you and it tells you that your, your time is too precious to invest it in somebody else. 
I remember hearing this song ages back. I listened to a lot of, used to listen to a lot of rap music. And the chorus said, um, a million and one things to do. I've only got so much time. Why should I give some to you? And I remember back when I used to hear that, I was like, yeah, that's good. You don't deserve my time. It's precious. Again, time is a gift that God gives to us. The service, and this brings us joy, but we miss it because we're holding on to it, just trying to keep our options open. We're going to go to Scripture to see what, you know, to a, a passage that speaks to the heart of this kind of, this issue here. Um, we're going to see what God says about it because we want His, we want His input on this, not our, not our own. So here's what I'm do. For those who have got your Bible there, now I know some have got their phones, so that's good as well. Um, before we actually go to the passage, I want to just do something real quick because we're in the Old Testament tonight. I want you to isolate the Old Testament in your Bible by just getting Genesis through to Malachi. So if you find Matthew, and we can hold up just the Old Testament, okay? <laughs> yeah, hold up your phone there, that's good. <laughs> just keep your finger on Genesis to Malachi. If you have a Bible, Bible, you've got it in your hand there. Okay, if you don't, just have a, have a look up here. This is what I want to I show you here is that the Old Testament, all right, uh, this is the Bible that Jesus taught from. This is really cool. The Old Testament is the scriptures that Jesus taught from. It's the scriptures that Paul, Peter, all refer to consistently throughout the New Testament. And the wonderful thing about these scriptures is that they're not just some old stories that have no relevance to us. They are completely relevant, and also they're completely relevant because they are all about Jesus. All of that, whether it's the story of Noah, Moses, the Israelites, in any situation, it all points to Jesus. It is all a foreshadowing of Jesus. It's telling us, hey, this guy will come, and it tells us all about the gospel. So when we read it, we read it in light of who Jesus is and what he's done through the gospel. So that's really awesome. I love the Old Testament. There is so much treasure for you in that. I once met a, uh, a guy who said he'd become a pastor. This was years ago. It wasn't um, anybody you guys would know, so I can talk about him. Um, and he said, I hate the Old Testament. I really love the New Testament. But I, he actually said the words, I hate the Old Testament. I felt like saying, bro, are you even saved? <laughs> because seriously, like, the Old Testament is the Word of God from beginning to end, all about Jesus, and it is full of wonderful treasures for us. All right, so some of you have read it, some have read a little bit, um, but I'm excited to jump into it tonight. We're going to look at the book of 1 Kings, so um, if you want to take that Old Testament, break it in half, chapter 18 we're looking at tonight. Okay, so a little bit of background um, just to bring you up to speed if you're unfamiliar with the, the book of Kings. Uh, we're talking about God's people, right? We're talking about the Israelites. Now, the Israelites are God's people. The Israelites, you'll also hear them referred to as Hebrews, um, Jews. The, and this is God's people who are supposed to be loving, serving, and following God. Now, in this situation, uh, before we get to this book, the Israelites have actually turned around and said, you know what? We want to have a human king like our neighbors. So like the other nations around us, we want to have a human king as well. God was supposed to be their king. They're supposed to just love and serve God and follow him, right? But here they are and they say, no, no, we want to be like our neighbors. We want to have a, have a king as well. God said to them, that's not going to go very well for you. 
all right, because God knows the sinfulness of man, God knows the brokenness of people, but they persist and they whinge and they push on and God eventually gives them what they want. And so the king that we are referring to tonight is the king known as Ahab. And uh, I'm going to just, actually, we're just going to go back a little bit for a minute. We're going to go back to chapter 16. And we need to have a look at where Ahab is introduced here. Uh, I'm going from verse 29, where it says, Ahab reigns in Israel. So the majority of these kings that we're looking at were evil kings. The majority of them did not follow God, even though they were supposed to be put in place to follow God, to lead other people to follow God. All right, in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And as it has been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife uh, Jezebel, also extremely evil, uh, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. So we're going to hear more about Baal in just a moment. So this guy did more evil in the sight of the Lord than any of the other kings. So there was a whole line of kings that came before Ahab who were evil. This guy comes along and he's even more evil than, than all these ones have been. And I thought, how evil is this guy? And so I started to look at this, this, this other god, this false god that they brought in. I wanted to have a look at, well, what did worship of this god look like? And I found out it was really awful. Baal, what Baal promised was that he was a god of fertility, sex, uh, family thrown in there, and also rain. So he presents as this god who's going to give you good things. But the way that they worshipped him was they had temple prostitutes that people went and slept with. And when they were really desperate to hear from Baal, they actually sacrificed children. And I had a look at a bit of historical research this week, and there were these giant urns that were found with Baal inscriptions on them. And as they opened it, they found the remains of children, like bones, inside, which were evidence or proof of Baal worship that also involved um, sacrificing children. So that's just a small glimpse or a little bit of an insight into when it says more evil than, there's a little bit to it. There is, there is truth in what is being said there. All right, so the hero of our story is Elijah. And Elijah is one of God's prophets sent to warn people of their idolatry, sent to tell people, repent of your sins and turn back to God. All right, Elijah is the hero of our story. Now, before we jump in and read it, um, I was just thinking this week, this story has everything, particularly if you're like a young guy. This story has drama, action, good versus evil. It has bloodshed. It has toilet humor and witty one-liners. All right? We're in chapter 18. Let's go. All right. We're going to take off from verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent 
to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Okay, so just to, just to clarify, if you're a little bit lost, what we're talking about is God's people, the Israelites, should be following God alone, but they're following Baal, all right, this false god, as well as God. They're going, we want a little bit of both of it. And here comes Elijah, and he says, you need to make a choice. The God of Israel is not a God that is okay with you adding a little bit of any other God into the mix here. You follow him and you follow him alone. And so he calls them and he says, hey, you need to follow, you need to make a choice. The people say nothing. All right, they're going back and forth between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The people did not answer him a word. Verse 22, then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on wood um, and put it, no fire to it. And when you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them. And they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, I love this, at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. He says, either he is musing, which means he's thinking, maybe he's thinking, or he is relieving himself. Perhaps he's on the toilet. Or he is on a journey. He's out on tour. Or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering on the oblation and there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention course not because he's a false god he doesn't exist verse 30 then elijah said to all the people come near to me and all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the lord that had been thrown down elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of jacob to whom the word of the lord came saying israel shall be your name and with the stones he built an altar in the name of the lord and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seers of seed and he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. So this thing is completely drenched. It shouldn't burn. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, 
Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. This is God's word to us. Not the sort of passage that some would preach on, uh, particularly if they want to just give a message across that, hey, just want you to have a U-Butte week this week. He took them to the, the brook and slaughtered them. Go and have a great week. <laughs> Powerful scripture that we need to hear about. All right. So the first consideration that I want to take from the passage here for us tonight, um, and I don't want to use it as just a guide for Christian living. I want to look at it and see how it, how it speaks to us. The first consideration is that idols, as we talked about earlier, and false gods, they always look and sound great, but they never deliver. So if you think about these Israelites, and you think about um, Ahab, wanting to bring in some, some Baal into the mix here as well, which was under the influence of his wife, Jezebel. Baal was all about family, fertility, sex, power, oh, and a bit of rain as well. So he would actually make sure, you know, you didn't go in drought for too long. Sounds like a great mix of stuff, right? So they thought, add that to the mix. Bring, bring all that in. We're about family. We think sex is good. Fertility is important to us. Power. But here's the thing. Baal didn't satisfy, Baal didn't bring forth anything and as a result the people did wicked acts in trying to gain from, from Baal. They never ever satisfy and that's exactly the same for us. Whatever thing that we become obsessed about, whatever thing becomes an idol in our life might present to us like it's going to be really awesome but it's never ever going to satisfy. Now the thing about a Baal is that it's really obvious that he's a false god, all right? Like images that I saw of him this week is that he looks like a, a man mixed with a bull. Um, so nobody in today's um, setting would go, hey, I'm going to follow after a part man, part bull as my God. But we would follow after sport. We would follow after obsession with having a relationship. We would follow after comfort, security and entertainment. We would follow after a whole bunch of other things that we would think is going to bring us satisfaction and joy, but only the one true God is actually able to bring us that. It's only the one true God who delivers. The second consideration from the passage for us tonight is that you can't serve two masters. And see, in the same way that Elijah is calling the people to commit, he's saying you can't have Baal and the God of Israel. Jesus says to us, you can't serve two masters. He said it about money. People were loving uh, money. Now, money is a good thing, again, like these idols that we can put in place. They're good things in and of themselves. But you can't be a lover of money and a lover of the one true God. 
at the same time. See, we serve these idols. They don't actually serve us. We often make out like these things are going to work for us, but it's actually the opposite. It's us working for them. We are slaves to them, but we disguise them by calling them things like, we might just say, hey, this is just something that I'm really, really passionate about. And as I said, it could be that relationship. It could be those games. It could be entertainment. It could be somebody trying to live through their kids, idolizing their kids. Nobody in society would bat an eyelid at somebody giving their all to their kids. You know, if they looked upon this, these two parents who were pouring everything out into their children, nobody in society would look upon that as a bad thing. But for so many people, and I've got to watch it, I've got, I've got kids, I've got to watch that I'm not trying to live my life through my kids. Like, they, they are on a journey with the one true God. They are his, and... I could make my kids into, I could make idolatry out of trying to, um, every, wanting the best of everything for my kids, wanting to give them the things that I didn't have when I was growing up or whatever it might be. That's confronting, isn't it? It's confronting because our society says it's a good thing. But God has a different sort of kingdom at work. So I wonder what it is for you. And if we're going to, because if we're going to be honest, I think we would all have areas where we can be honest about, hey, I wonder what the, where, where are my tendencies? Where, are, where do I lean towards, hey, I could, I could easily slip into loving this thing more than actually following the one true God. Is it that options, keeping the options open? Is it comfort? The final point that I want to sort of bring out of this tonight for us is that, uh, as I said before, it's not, this isn't something that I want to look at and go, let's get three points for Christian living. But I think what this passage gets to is that it gets much deeper and it gets to the heart issue. I've said this before, it's a, a, a bit of a famous saying, that the heart of the issue is that our hearts are the issue. In our society, everybody generally thinks that they are a good person. They pride themselves, particularly Australian culture, um, really like hold themselves up highly when it comes to saying, hey, I'm a good bloke, or what about this guy over here is a really good bloke. So we have a tendency to think of ourselves being that we have a good heart. I remember a neighbor of mine, I was having a chat with her about, about going to church and about God, and she said to me, well, I'm not a, I'm not a believer, but if he's real, <clears throat> if he is real, surely he will accept me because he'll know my heart. Now, that sounds good, and we hear that so, so often. People say that God will know my heart. It's a really common thing to say. But like Matt shared earlier, when we get to the heart of the issue, that our hearts are the issue, the problem is that our hearts are actually wicked. In Jeremiah, it says our hearts are wicked um, beyond all else. And so we actually have this situation where God needs to come into our life and give us a new heart. We have, been, we have a heart of stone that is resistant to God. We don't love God in and of ourselves. We need the work of God's Spirit to give us a new heart. See, the conflict of worshipping and serving wholeheartedly the one true God versus idolatry, meaning loving something more than God, is as ancient as the book of Genesis. 
yet it's as relevant as a conversation that you and I are going to have this week. We're going to talk to people and we're going to see issues of idolatry everywhere we go. It's as old as the book of Genesis. If we trace this all the way back to the very beginning, all right, we go to Genesis, we see Adam and Eve in the garden with exactly the same situation. We see them going, hey, I want to be like God. I want to, I want to obtain this knowledge and this information. I want to be like God. And so they start to not trust God and go after their own thing. And so they have an idolatry problem that we continue to see all the way through the journey of the Israelites um, right to us today, to our modern society that is just chasing everything else but God. But in the ancient days, you didn't have to wonder what the idol was. It was visible. So the question that Elijah would say to us is, how long will you waver? Wavering is basically limping between two options. And he would call us to land on a decision. The God of the Bible calls us to land on a decision. How long will we limp between two things? And I think this is where I, I recognize the uncomfortable nature of a passage like this to, to confront our idolatry. But if we're going to be a church that grows and goes forward as a church who would reach people with the gospel of Jesus, a church full of limpers or people who are wavering is not going to be a healthy church. A church full of uh, people sitting on the fence between two options is not going to be a church that is able to reach people with the love of Jesus. Um, as I said before, listening to some, uh, I listened to various rap songs uh, throughout the week, and I was listening to one this week on, on church membership. And uh, that might not be what you'd expect to put together, rap music and a song about church membership, but it was there nevertheless. And it said this um, profound statement to me, which I, I really took a hold of, and it says, church wasn't created to cater to your convenience. So I feel like passages like this shake up what we're actually doing here. They shake up when we think about what are we coming in to be as a, as a people, God's people set apart for what purpose? to purely come in and enjoy a service or actually be changed by the gospel and say, hey, you know what? I know that there are people out in my world that I'm going to see this week who don't know Jesus. There are people out there who are lost and headed for destruction and I have the answer. I have the truth. I know about the one true God. They're, they're chasing all these idols everywhere they go. But I have the one true God. I know about him and I can point them to him. So if you're here tonight and, and maybe you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, um, you might be on the fence with it, uh, un unsure. Um, I want to read this scripture uh, for you tonight. If I can find it. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 to 20. It says, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life. 
And in a similar way, I bring this before you tonight. Listen to his voice. Hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. So if we were to, if we were to say um, a couple of points just to, just to close off, just to take this home for us tonight. What does commitment to Jesus look like? How, how then, if we, are, if we are knowing that a passage like this speaks directly to our situation of saying, hey, we're not to waver between two opinions, what, is, what does committing to Jesus look like? This is where we're going to finish off tonight. And the first one is, um, is the gospel, do you know it? That's why I would invite anybody who would say they are not a Christian to come to know the one true God. Um, we, as, we as a people are constantly searching for, for happiness. We're designed that way. And so when we talk about these idols and the way that we're searching for them, the reason we're doing that is because we're searching for happiness. We're searching for joy, but we're looking for it in all of the wrong places. And as I said before, for somebody it might be thinking, if I can just get that relationship, if I have a relationship, I'll have happiness. But once they have it, they find, wow, I've still got a whole bunch of problems. Right? For others, they might find it in uh, success or career or whatever it might be. But the, the reality is that when you have a relationship with God through Jesus, you have the ultimate joy because this is what you were designed for. We were designed as people to give glory to God and to make him known. So when we are living a life like that where we are connected to God, we have a relationship with Jesus, that's where you'll find your happiness. That's where you'll find your true joy. So the first thing I would say is if you are not saved, if you are not a Christian, talk to somebody tonight. Come and have a chat with the person um, maybe that you came with or, or come and see somebody who was here and, and just talk about it. Just say, hey, I've been hearing all this Christian stuff. Some of it's really annoying me, but I'm feeling like I, I want to know more. That's what we're here for. We want to talk to you tonight. Um, take the time that we've got in fellowship afterwards. Ask some questions. Maybe you heard something talked about tonight and you could say, hey, I, I'm not sure if I agree with that or I, I don't quite understand that. Talk about it tonight. Um, for you who are a Christian... I want to just encourage you tonight to be committed to knowing him. Um, the reality is that if we're, if we're not in this word, and that's why one of the reasons why we're saying, hey, bring your Bible when you come along each night. Um, and, and that is convenient if you've got it on your phone. All right, you can grab it on there. Um, if we're not in our Bible, we're not going to know Jesus. That's, that's as simple as I can put it. And we're going to get confronted by somebody who's going to say to us, hey, you're a Christian, and they're going to have some sort of question for us, and we're going to be left without an answer. Uh, in, in, the book, in one of Peter's letters, he says, be prepared to give a defense for the hope that you have within you. And so we want to be prepared for being able to tell people about the goodness of Jesus. So whether it's digging into something in the Old Testament this week or jumping into one of, one of the letters, I just encourage you to read your Bible this week. Jump in and... and uh, Maybe you need to grab a friend. Maybe you say, all right, I know what that's like for me. I'm probably going to not read it, even though I might start off on Sunday night going, yeah, I'm going to read something. Maybe you just want to reach out to a friend and say, hey, do you want to get together this week and go through some of the word? And then the last point, I'll just say, are you committed to a local church? And I don't, I don't just mean like just turning up to a service, but God has brought together his local church um, not for us to simply attend a service. God has brought together the local church to be the place that we would grow in our knowledge of God, our love for one another. And it's out of this pouring out that we would then be able to tell other people about Jesus. 
if we can love people in here, we're going to be able to love people out there. Does that make sense? So you might be noticing the chairs are like facing each other and it's a little bit confronting <laughs> to see each other. Wasn't it so much more comfortable when we were in rows and we didn't actually have to um, look at each other but we can just look straight to the front. We can look to the worship band and keep the lights on the front there. If we're going to be honest, that's actually so much more comfortable, right? To be able to just look to the front, zone out for an hour, good, I've done my time at church, and I'm out of here. But the reality is when we start being able to see each other, we recognize in this room is our family, real lives, real people that we are called to love. And the scriptures say that you will know them they, sorry, they will know you by the love that we have for one another. So outsiders will actually look upon us and if they see that we are a people who love one another, they'll be attracted to coming into this and what this is. Um, a couple of years ago, I was with, I was with a guy just having a, having a talk. He's not a, he wasn't a Christian. He was um, chatting to me about what I did and I was explaining church and nature of my work and stuff like that. And he started to share with me this... Um, story of uh, this, he was, he kind of works away from home all the time, and one of the places that he went to work at, he said there was a little church that was right down the road next to where he was working at this particular time, and he said every time he would walk past that, that place, he finished a shift just before, and the service was on, and he said every time he walked past there, there was these Christians in there, and he said I could hear them singing loudly about God, he said then I would see them come out and eat together, and they just seem to really love one another. And his words will always stick with me. He said, it, sounds like a, it sounded like a place you might want to be at. I thought, what a wonderful description of the local church, that if people looked and saw us, they would say, that's, that's, that's a place you might want to be at. He was attracted by the, the voices that were singing. He was attracted by the way that people were uh, spending time with one another, loving one another, serving one another in this place. So God calls us to commit to this. And I don't mean sign up for night church. I'm not talking about that. If that's where you believe God has called you to be, then that's, that's awesome. But I'm talking about committing to a local church, knowing that God has designed and instituted the local church for our growth, um, for our good, for our ultimate good. Uh, I just want to acknowledge somebody as, a, as an example of that. And that's Leone, um, who turns up here every week and bakes, spends her Sunday afternoons baking. Um, when you do jobs like that, you tend to fly under the radar a bit. So sorry I didn't ask for your permission. I'm going I'm to call you out here a little bit now. I think when I see Leone coming in each week, this is, this is my observation, I think she gets it. I think she gets what local church is about. That it's a place where you serve and that there is joy in it. Every time I talk to Leone about doing something with um, supper or, or baking something that we get to enjoy, there's just a, a joy with it with Leone. Like, yeah, that sounds fine. That sounds great. Let's do that. It's easy. And she faithfully turns up and serves week in, week out not looking for thanks. She's not up the front sort of getting recognition for that, but she's doing it week in, week out. 
Actually, why don't you give, go ahead and give her a round of applause for... We have a wonderful, wonderful God who loves us so much that he would call us away from our idols. God knows how much they damage us. He knows that if we're just going to be a people who try and keep our options open, he knows that's going to have damage on us. All right? it's, going to, it's going to lead us ultimately away from God. Uh, the God that we serve is a God who pursues us, but he does call us to commit. He says, make a choice. In the same way that Elijah was in this passage, he said, if the Baal is your God, like if he, if he is God, go after him. And so in the same way, we could finish by saying, if the sport and the keeping the options open and the whatever it is, if they are God, then go for it. Go and serve them and see how it works out. But he reminds us of the one true God who will satisfy us, who will sustain us, who will give us true joy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for a passage like this tonight. We thank you that we can look in the Old Testament, see this crazy story about fire being brought down upon an altar, um, people worshipping a, a false god and thinking that they were going to get other things out of it. Lord, I thank you that even though this, this issue of idolatry is, um, is ancient and old, I thank you that you love us enough that you would call us to again refocus on you. You love us, Lord, in a way that we can't even understand sometimes because we as people have a tendency to follow the, um, follow like the world does around us, Lord, just thinking we're going to just keep up with what our neighbours are doing, wanting what our neighbours want, just like, these, like the Israelites wanted a king like their neighbours. But, Lord, you call us out to make a choice to follow you. You discipline us because you love us. So I thank you tonight, Lord, that we are reminded of your gospel, of your goodness. And I pray that you would help us, even in this coming week, Lord, to think about areas of our own life where it might seem as if we are wavering between two different things. Maybe in one sense we're uh, seeking popularity or comfort, whatever it might be, and then on Sundays we're, we're seeking after you. But Lord, your desire is that our whole of our life would, would, would be serving you and loving you, no matter where we are or what we're doing. So Lord, I pray that you would equip us by your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to be committed to your local church, to love one another, to serve one another, that others would look upon us and know that you are the one true God of all eternity. We pray this tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.